0: If your faith in Christ is not leading you to live a lifestyle of devotion to Jesus, then you're in danger. It's a message that America needs to hear today. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of God. Honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Inwardly, they live like the world, and they don't follow Christ. The lives of adultery is what most Americans live. Lord God, the lives idolatry, Lord God, of what Americans live. And yet, for all this, your hand is still outstretched still, Lord God. You're still calling people to repentance. You're still calling the 76% of deceived Americans. You're still calling them, Lord. You still say, come to me, please. Turn away from your sin, and I can save you. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. It's good to be in the house of the Lord today. Praise be to God. It's a beautiful July day here in McKinney, Texas. And it's good to be gathered here together to hear God's Word spoken today. So I'm so thankful that the Lord has brought us here today. I'm so thankful. Um, I want to welcome anybody that's joining us online from anywhere that may be listening to our Internet uh, SoundCloud cast or Come on the website and you hear our sermon on the website, gospelsavingchurch.com. In case you're interested to come and uh, check out the church or check out the website, gospelsavingchurch.com. My phone number's on there. Links to contact and so on and so forth are all on there in case you're interested. It's a beautiful new website and uh, we enjoy it. It's gorgeous. But anyway, uh, let's get into the reading today. We're going to look at uh, Matthew chapter 9. We're going to pray real quick and then we're going to read our uh, eight verses we got so join me in a word of prayer please as we lift up the service and ask god to bless it lord we thank you so much jesus for being here with us right now lord god your word says that wherever two or more are gathered you will be there so lord i thank you and by faith i know that lord that you said it so it's it's here it's happening lord you're here And Lord, I I ask another special favor, Lord. I pray that even today's service especially, Lord, all of us here in this room and whoever will listen online or on the website, Lord, I pray that you would anoint, just touch their hearts by your Holy Spirit today as they listen. And touch their ears, Lord, and touch our minds, Lord God, and keep distractions away as we focus on Jesus, as we focus on the author and perfecter of our faith, Lord, as we focus on God today. I pray you'd bless us, Lord. Please, God bless us. So, Lord, I just ask that you would help my mouth and my brain to think and speak correctly today, Lord, the words that you have prepared this week for me, that you have given me to speak. And I pray we learn today and we grow in Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we bless you and we thank you, Lord. I pray this message will go out through the whole world. Touching people's hearts everywhere, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 9. If anybody wants to turn there, Matthew chapter 9, verses 18 through 26 of Matthew chapter 9. Give you guys a moment to get there. And the title of our sermon, while you guys are turning, is he ready? What made them worship? What made them worship? Big question mark. So we're going to read the scripture, verse 18 in Matthew chapter 9. The Bible says, When he, Jesus, spoke these things to them, behold, a ruler came and worshipped him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. So Jesus arose and followed him, and so did his disciples. And suddenly a woman who had a flow of blood for twelve years came from behind and touched the hem of his garments. For she said to herself, If only I may touch his garment, I shall be made well. But Jesus turned around, and when he had saw her, he said, Be of good cheer, daughter, your faith has made you well. And the woman was made well from that hour. When Jesus came into the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the noisy crowd wailing, he said to them, Make room, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when the crowd was put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went out into all the land. So go back up to 18. What do we have? We mentioned it the last week or two. We mentioned uh, our distractions that Jesus had to deal with when he was preaching the gospel, when he was preaching God's kingdom. And here we have number three. We have our third distraction. And guys, remember last week I talked about how it was so, you know, people are, especially with the gospel, I had it happen to me on Friday night, where I'll be, I was talking to some fella, I was talking to a fella, I don't you generally name names, I was talking to a fella by Valero on Highway 30 by... Highway 35 or State Road 35 in Walnut Hill and I was talking to a fella, and a guy came right up saw me talking to the guy and just stepped right in and just talked over me and talked to the other fella that I was speaking with and the other guy that I was talking with just completely re- ignored me too as well and just started talking to him well here look at verse 18 while he, Jesus, spoke these things to them. So while he was speaking the things to who? To John's disciples. John's disciples had just come to him asking him about fasting. So he was speaking to them about fasting. While he was speaking to John's disciples about fasting, behold, a ruler came. So Jairus here this is his name. We'll find that out in a minute. The ruler here came and interrupted right in the middle of Jesus talking to to john's disciples about fasting so you know the big deal is it's no big deal we got to learn to move on jesus learned to deal with it we got to learn to deal with it it's just going to happen period the end you can't fight it you can't get rude about it you can't get angry about it because jesus didn't get rude and jesus didn't get angry about it he just moved on he just pushed on i guess he figured that you know, if whoever was going to do that needed him that bad or they were going to cut him off that bad, and maybe they needed him more than the other people he was talking to needed him. You know, he, he's God and he knows, so, you know, we don't. That, anyway, we just have to get used to it and just move on. So, what do we have? We have a new situation. What's our new situation? We, we moved out of Jesus talking. Number one, we had Matt, Jesus talking to Matthew, the text collector, with all the people, and then the Pharisees coming. Number two, distraction. We had John's disciples coming. And question about fasting. Number three distraction we had this uh, ruler of the synagogue come and talk to Jesus, and he, he comes to Jesus and he gets down and he starts worshiping. We have a new situation, and what is his request? That Jesus only do the little thing called raise his daughter from the dead. Just just a little thing, just a little, just a little request that these guy this guy had for Jesus. So as I mentioned earlier, I didn't mean to mention it, but I know the information ahead, and probably so do you. But so we can get a little deeper in our message, we have to go to Mark five twenty-two, And Mark tells us a little extra detail about this situation than Matthew gives us. And Mark five twenty-two says, And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. So that's, you didn't have to go there if you didn't want to, just Mark tells us a little bit extra. Mark tells us that the ruler that came to Jesus this day, for this time, His name was Jairus. So he tells us another thing. He also says that he was a ruler of the synagogue. But we'll refer to this ruler of the synagogue as Jairus from this point on. So if you hear me say Jairus all throughout the sermon, you'll know that that's the guy we're talking about in our sermon today. So let's read the rest of verse 18. Behold, a ruler came and worshipped him, saying, My daughter has just died but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. So this is there's so much in just this one verse. We're actually probably going to camp here for who knows, maybe 10, maybe even 15, maybe even 20 minutes. There's just so much information, there's so much power in this one verse. The first point I want to look at was Jairus, notice, was like Mark tells us, a ruler of the synagogue, a ruler of a synagogue. This is very, 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 very important. Why? Well, in in one of my many Bible tools that I use to help me understand the Bible and get definitions and so on and so forth, there's one called Thayer's Lexicon. And in Thayer's Lexicon about a ruler of the synagogue, it tells us that they were two. Select the readers or teachers of the synagogue, one. Two, examine the disclosures of the public speakers. Three, see all things were done in decency decency and accordance with ancestral usage. So they had to make sure, basically, they were like the overseer of the synagogue. They made sure all the stuff that was coming into the synagogue, the people that were going to come in and read that day, To make, they were going to make sure that the people they were going to talk about, whatever they were going to talk about that day, were going to do it according to Bible or in their day Tanakh, you know, standards. It had to be accurate. They couldn't just get up there and start preaching, you know, some other god or So this, so a ruler of the synagogue had a very important role in a place where Jews went to, you know, serve God in what they would be like their church. He was a pretty important guy. So, what? why is that important here? Well, because he came, and he bowed down, and he worshipped Jesus, and he made a request. Now, if you remember Matthew chapter 9, verse 3 and 11, let's recap them real quick. 9-3, where the Bible says, And at once some of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemes. And then again, 9 11, we read, And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to, the, to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? So the religious leaders of the day weren't really starting to like Jesus at this point. They were kind of coming against Jesus. They were kind of speaking some bad things against him. So now we have a ruler of the synagogue coming and being a part and coming to Jesus. And although Jairus wasn't a rabbi or scribe or Pharisee, He was a leader of one of their holy institutions, okay? And if you remember correctly, like I said last week, although Mark also tells us that there's a a multitude of peoples here, remember these distractions were one right after the other, right after the other. So in essence, these distractions were very closely following one another. So most likely, if not almost 100%, The Pharisees that had just questioned him before John's disciples came to him, as well as John's disciples would have been there, all saw him do this. They all witnessed Jairus. They all knew him. He was a ruler of a synagogue. They knew the synagogues. That's where they went to church. There were a lot of synagogues, but being a Jewish ruler or Jewish Jewish leader in the church, they would have known the leaders of the synagogues. Like today, very common today, I as a pastor know quite, I've heard of, and know the names of quite a few of the pastors in my area. They would have known Jairus as a leader of the synagogue. So, they would have seen him. Why is this huge? Look at what he did. Remember, he was on the sea in this whole time. He was kind of on the sea by, in in, uh, in Matthew's house, but that was kind of by the Sea of Galilee. Okay. Number one, he does it in the open. He comes right up to Jesus in the middle of a multitude of people, number one. Number two, as I already mentioned, he did it in front of all his religious peers and all the religious authorities. And number three, he worships and makes a request of Jesus. So I say, when I say it was a big point, I say this because Jairus had a lot to lose by coming to Jesus the way that he did. Why do I say that? If you guys remember, we're not going to go there. It's just one verse I'm going to take out of it, I'm going to describe the story. In the Gospel of John, chapter 9, I'm not going to go through the whole story. I'm not going to go through the whole account. We read of another account where Jesus heals a blind man from birth. So he heals this blind man from birth, and the guy is so excited, and the people that start seeing the blind man know and that's the blind man from birth. Wait a minute, he can see? What? How did that happen? So they take the guy and they bring him to the religious leaders in probably a synagogue. So the guy that religious leaders or Pharisees and scribes are questioning this man. And this man's, you know, well, I don't know, you know where this guy's from. I just know what he did. And, you know, this, that, and the other thing. So they didn't believe the man that he was born from birth. So what do they do? They called the man's parents in. They called the man's parents and they said, hey, come on in. And, you know, and then they start questioning his parents. You know, how, how did this man, you, uh, yeah, he was born from birth. Well, how did he get healed? And the parents said in John nine twenty two, his parents really, well, before that, they really didn't say anything good or bad. They just ignored and basically acted like, you know, they didn't know. And they didn't know any details. They just kind of just swept it away. They didn't know Jesus and they didn't know anything about Jesus. Because, John 9, says, his parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that G- he, Jesus, was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Now, at this point, that may be a little later than where we are now, the Jews continuously, they started and then it kept on going, had a very strong dislike for Jesus because he did not teach them the law of God. He, he was teaching them a new way. And he taught them really in essence that the religious leaders and the Pharisees, and he kind of stood up against the people because they really weren't living for God, but they but they really read the law, and they, but they didn't follow it themselves. And there's a whole big long, that could be a whole sermon there himself. But nevertheless, know that by Jairus coming in the middle of the people that he did, the time that he did, with the people that were there, and the position that he got in, that he worshipped and requested from Jesus, he could have lost his livelihood. He could have gotten fired. He could have gotten ostracized from society. And it wasn't happening then, but now we know in the, in the worlds that are not America, people are even losing their lives for coming to Jesus. They have a really lot to lose too if they come to Jesus, just like Jairus did here. Why did he do that? Why, what, what made Jairus take such a huge risk by coming to Jesus Christ the way he did? And the question next, it's the title of our sermon, What Made Him Worship? What Made Jairus Worship Jesus Christ? He believed something special about Jesus. And that special belief brought him to act the way he did. And remember how he came. Verse 18. While he spoke, while Jesus spoke these things to them, behold, a ruler of the synagogue, or the ruler came, Jairus came, and worshipped him. So basically, in essence, what do and why do people worship? What do they worship? They either worship idols or they worship God. Now Jairus was Jewish, and remember the Jews were then and still are a monotheistic society, a one-God people group. It's against their religious beliefs to worship anyone but Jehovah God. Worshiping anything or anyone else was considered blasphemy. Blasphemy. So what Jairus did, according to the Jewish leadership according to their religion, was blasphemy when he came and he worshipped Jesus. I mean, did Jairus maybe not know? I mean, all the way back in, in Exodus 21-4 through 4 in the Ten Commandments where God says, God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. So did Jairus forget the first commandment or two? of the Ten commandments? I mean, after all, he was a ruler of the synagogue. I'm sure he'd heard this passage hundreds, maybe thousands of times. Could Jairus have forgotten No, he didn't forget. But here, Jairus, a Jewish man, worships Jesus. Why? Because Jairus believed Jesus to be the Christ. Jairus believed Jesus to be the Son of God. Jairus believed Jesus was God. So he knew it was not blasphemy to worship Jesus. Jesus. Now at this point, I've really got to make a huge point, and it really points right into the Muslim world. Right into the very core of Islamic teaching. And in case you didn't know, Muslims believe Jesus Christ was not the Son of God, was not God, but just the prophet of grace and love, or the prophet of mercy, or so on and so forth. But he was just another man that came To kind of tell us about God. That's what the Muslims believe. And so they don't believe that Jesus is the God. So there's all kind of YouTube videos out there. Where Muslims are up there talking about how Jesus is not God. And one of the things that they'll say. A couple things that they'll say. They'll say, you know what? Jesus never said the words, I am God. Jesus, they'll say, never even said the words, I am the son of God. And, you know, I know for sure they're right. Jesus never, ever once said the these words, I am God. Now, he said other things that would lead us to think that, you know, in reference to that. But they say, since he never said, I am God, that he must not be God. He can't be God. But I have a question for all of us to think about today. Can people say something without saying something? Do people and can people say things without really saying a word? Absolutely. In our society today, there are studies that show that actually people speak more with one another through body language than they actually do with words. That's in our studies today in our own modern society. People have always been the same. People can read people. People can see when people are kind of how they're feeling by the way they're acting. They don't have to say a word. So let's listen to what Jesus Christ did not say. Because Jesus didn't say anything here. He didn't say, I am God. He didn't even say, I am the Son of God. Here he didn't say that. But what? why did Jairus, why can we today look at this situation and say, that we can see that Jesus is God by this situation here, by what Jesus did not say. So what did he not say? He never said, and we'll read it over again just in case you know, think I'm trying to pull the wool over your eyes or something. He never said, get up, don't worship me. He never said, don't do that. You only worship God. I'm only a prophet. He never said those words. Read 18 and 19 again. While he spoke these things to them, behold, a ruler came and worshipped him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. Verse 19. So Jesus arose and followed him, and so did his disciples. Did you hear in there that Jesus said, Wait a minute. Hey, Jairus, do not worship me. Only worship God. You will not read it. You will not see that Jesus said it. Jesus received Jairus' worship. He didn't argue with Jairus. He didn't rebuke him. He received Jairus' worship. What is Jesus telling us by keeping quiet? Matthew 9-2, Jesus forgave a paralyzed man of his sins, and only God can do that. Here he accepts worship and only God or idols are worshipped, and Jesus definitely wasn't an idol. He was a real man. Listen to Revelation 19, 9-10. through 10. If you want to go there, I'll give you a minute while I take a sip of my water. Revelation 19, 9-10. hope you're there. I'm going to go ahead and read it. Revelation 19.9 through 10. Then he, John or he, the angel said to me, John right blessed are those who called to the marriage supper of the Lamb and he said to me these are the true sayings of God and I, John fell at his feet to worship him but he said to me see that you do not do that I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. And then he declares boldly, and it's all one sentence, you know, it's just two words. Worship God. So an angel meets with John when John is having his revelation. And that is the book of our revelation. And John is up in heaven. He's talking with this angel about being there and so on and so forth. Seeing things and seeing things into the future. And the angel says to him some things, and John says, Wow, and he worships the guy. And the angel rebukes John for worshiping him and says, Get up! Don't do that! Only worship God! So even the angel refused this worship and confessed God as the only one John should worship. Now Jesus here received Jairus' worship and his request. Now Jesus was a Jew. Jesus was considered an amazing teacher that made people just be in awe when they heard him teach. People were amazed and astounded at the words that Jesus spoke. Mark 6, 2 it says, And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue, Jesus, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where does this man get these teachings? Notice they were astonished. And what wisdom is this which is given him that such mighty works are performed by his hands. So Jesus went around and he taught things about God. And a little later on, they actually say, just right after this, they say something bad about him. Isn't this just Jesus, the son of Joseph, the carpenter? But he was astonished. People were astonished at Jesus' teaching. So could Jesus, astonishing people with his teaching about God. And he received God. So either here he received Jairus' worship either here, A, he was a blasphemer because he received worship from Jairus. B, he was a lunatic and a crazed fool because really only somebody like that is going to take worship. I mean, you were in the midst, he's in the midst of the land of Israel. I mean, Jews took worship in one God pretty serious. You go to worship somebody else, you could have been stoned. You get angry. You don't worship anybody but God. Get up. What are you doing? Or B, He was really God Almighty. C, excuse me. He was really God Almighty. You have to make your choice. My, main is, my mind is made up. I really hope yours is. Because Jesus said a lot here by really not saying anything. And it's true. We say more by not speaking than we do by actually speaking. So Muslims, if there's any Muslims listening online anywhere or even people that are friends of Muslims. You need to ask yourself, you need to think yourself, you you consider Jesus a prophet, but here Jesus received worship. Did any, even one of your prophets, receive anyone that worshipped them? Because we know any religious holy book, we don't read about any, not one religious teacher whether it was the fellow that was Buddha, that wasn't his real name, I'm not real sure of his real name, or whether it was in the Hindu religion, you don't worship the priest. You don't worship the person, the pastor. You don't worship the leader of the synagogue. You don't worship anybody but whoever you've come that religion worships, and that's God Almighty, God. You only worship God. But here Jesus was worship, and he received it, and he accepted it. Why? Why? You may be saying, but Jesus being God doesn't make sense, Pastor Ed. The whole Trinity and all. I don't understand, how can Jesus Christ be the Son of God and God Himself? And there'd be three gods, but God is really only one? When I have a main question, I have a really deep, deep thought for you. Just because you don't believe it, does it not make it true? If you don't understand it, well, then that's the barrier of truth. Well, because I don't understand it, it can't be true. Well, that's not true. Because there's a lot of things I don't understand. I don't understand how my heart keeps beating. I don't plug myself in at night. I don't understand how a lump of fat that's in my skull that's called my brain works faster than the biggest and most powerful supercomputer that man has ever made or will ever make. I don't understand those things. I don't understand how the planets just hang there in the middle of nowhere and they don't move. How do they just hang there in the sky? And they they move, but they always stay. They never fall. I don't understand a lot of things. But that doesn't make them not true just because I don't understand them. Moving on Jairus' request. We're still in verse 18. What is his request? Verse eighteen. My daughter has just died. But come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. Now, as I said earlier, this was a pretty amazing request. You don't just come to just somebody and say, "Hey, man, my daughter died. Just come and heal her, man. Come on, just come on and just touch her." And I know, I you know, you can heal her. She'll live. This is is not something that an everyday person would come and ask anyone, really. This is a pretty supernatural request that Jairus asks here. Pretty amazing. And look here. We'll read verse 19. So Jesus arose and followed him and saw all his disciples. Did Jesus look worried about the request that Jairus asked him? Was Jesus concerned? Oh, no. I can't do that. Let me pray for a couple days and then I'll be there. No. Jesus got right up. And he moved right on with his disciples. And he went right on. Jesus wasn't even stressed. He didn't hesitate for a moment. This in two shows me Jesus' godlikeness. Because God does not stress when we ask him anything. Because God can do all things. We can't, but he can. So Jesus didn't hesitate for a moment. He moved right on, got up with his disciples, and he moved forward to go to this false house. So now, moving on. So now we read, right, that he gets right up and he moves right on and they go into Jarvis' house and he heals, the kid, or he heals the daughter right away, Right? Eh. wrong distraction number four young lady middle aged woman maybe verse 20 so they're going and suddenly a woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years came from behind and touched the hem of his garment Or she said to herself if I only touch his garment I shall be made well so what do we see we see a really desperate woman come to Jesus. She's extremely desperate. And how does she come to Jesus? I almost missed this one until just very the very night of last night, God came to me, and He told me the title of today's sermon, because I didn't have it all week long. And then I looked it up and Googled it, or binged it, whatever you want to call it. Look at how she came to him. What does it say that she did? She came from behind and touched the hem of his garment. In case you're curious, you can google it or bing it when the service is over, or whatever you want to do. When you have to touch the hem of someone's garment, you have to get down on the ground to do that. Because the hem is by your feet. So this woman came and I'll say it the way I saw it this morning when I looked at the picture, last night when I saw the picture, excuse me, the woman came and fell down in the back of him and touched his garment. so this woman came and worshipped him too. Because you just don't fall down toward anybody. Why didn't she touch his back? Why didn't she just swip his arm real quick? Why didn't she just grab the little thing that was around his chest? just touched it real quick he would have never known she didn't have to fall down there's a lot of reasons for that but we're only going to get to this one she was a really desperate woman that also came and worshipped jesus falling down and touching the hem of his garments so why was she so desperate you would be too if you were a woman and maybe if you're not a if you're a woman but you have a wife and you know that women go through periodic cycles where they have to go through cycles of menstruation or they bleed and it's not a real good experience for women to go through it's not a good experience for men to go through either usually women are real excited and real happy when they're on their what, they, what we call today in America their time of the month so this woman was really desperate because she had been having her menstrual cycle for 12 years straight Not one week every month for 12 years. 12 years every day from morning to night, 12 months out of the year for 12 years. This woman was bleeding. I'm going to really paint a picture for you with Leviticus 15. 19 through 31 and it's a bit of a chunk of a scripture but I really hope that it'll give us a heart for this woman and really see where she was coming so if you'd like to turn you can otherwise I'm going to read it Leviticus 15 19 through 31 and I'm going to teach on it kind of as I go verse 19 of Leviticus 15 if a woman has a discharge and the discharge from her body is blood She shall be set apart seven days. Mm -hmm. Notice how the Bible just said that the woman will be set apart for seven days, because that's generally as long as a woman's cycle will last. Seven days she was set apart. And whoever touches her shall be unclean until evening. Everything that she lies on during her impurity shall be unclean. Also, everything she sits on shall be unclean. Whoever touches her bed shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. And whoever touches anything that she sat on shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. If anything is on her bed or anything on her, or on which she sits, when he touches it, he shall be unclean. So the man that's with her can't even touch any piece of clothing that she's wearing. He can't touch the bed that she laid on. He can't even touch anything that's on her body at all. And that would be including her skin. So it was unclean for anyone to touch this woman for 12 years. Nobody could approach her. Not only the way a man would approach a woman if they were married, but no one was even allowed to touch her for 12 years because she was bleeding, or else they would have been unclean. And if a man lies with her at all, so that impurity, that blood is on him, he shall be unclean seven days, and every bed on which he lies should be unclean. So even if a man or husband does lie with her the way a, a man would lie with a woman, he would be unclean for seven days. And everything on which he sat and slept would be unclean for seven days. Verse 25, if a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, oh, here we go, other than that, at that time of her customary impurity, or if it runs beyond her usual time of impurity, all the days of her unclean discharge shall be as the days of her customary impurity. She shall be unclean. What God said there in Leviticus is, if the menstrual cycle, if the blood runs beyond the seven days, how she was supposed to be set apart for seven days, all the extra time that she's still bleeding, she's still supposed to be set apart. Twelve years, could you imagine, being set apart from society? Wow. Every bed on which she lies, all the days of her discharge, shall be to her as the bed of her impurity. And whoever she—and whatever she sits on shall be unclean, as the uncleanness of her impurity. Whoever touches those things shall be unclean. He shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. But if she is cleansed of her discharge, then she shall count for herself seven days. And after that, she shall be clean. So the day she was clean, she still had to wait another seven days after she was cleansed of her impurity, before she could go out in public, she would be unclean. And on the eighth day, she's supposed to go do a sacrifice. She takes for herself two turtle doves or two young pigeons and brings them to the priest at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Then the priest shall offer the one as a sin offering and the other as a burnt offering, and the priest shall make atonement for her before the Lord for the discharge of her uncleanness. Thus you shall separate, this one we see it here a lot, it's so sad. Thus you shall separate the children of Israel from their uncleanness. Least they die in their uncleanness while they defile my tabernacle that is among them. This is the law of one who has a discharge. So the reason God even gave that law was to keep the people pure because the days of a woman's impurity are not pure. It's a very dirty time for the woman. And so God said, Keep the man away. Keep the people away. Put the woman alone. Now, we're still under this covenant, folks. Jesus was in his day. And this woman would have had to be alone for 12 years. 12 years. So what does she do? Again, verse 20. And suddenly a woman who had flow of blood for 12 years came from behind and touched the hem of his garment. Now, check this out. That Leviticus just said that if we touch, if anybody touched that woman, they'd be unclean. Doesn't that go in reverse too? Doesn't it state that, wouldn't it say then too, what God wasn't saying there, that even if this woman touched anyone, they would be unclean as well too? That's absolutely the truth. Absolutely. So this woman took a chance and said, I must touch him knowing that she was going to make him unclean by her even touching him. Unless she believed one important thing. Unless she believed he was God. Then she knew, I'm not going to defile God. Can't defile God. God is holy. God is perfect. Another instance, she worships, she touches him with the chance of making him unclean. Even she declares, even this situation declares Jesus' Godhead. Isn't that awesome? Now, before you judge her, oh, how dare she come out and touch people? She was unclean! Before you judge her, put yourself in her shoes and think about it. Wouldn't you have done the same thing? I know i would have there's a miracle man there's a miracle man and people are listening to his teachings and people are worshiping i've had this blow up, but I can't be alone anymore i just gotta go touch him i just gotta see him i don't care that i don't i don't care that i'm not supposed to be outside i just have to go i just have to touch him Desperate times, don't we say today, call for desperate measures. This woman was in a desperate time. And she called upon herself to do a desperate measure. And her reason for doing it was verse 21. For she said to herself, if only I touch his garment, I shall be made well. Translation, I believe with all my heart and soul that God is so powerful in this man that if I just can touch the hem of his garment, I can be healed. And what did her actions get her? Verse 22, But Jesus turned around, and when he saw her, he said, Be of good cheer, daughter. Your faith, your belief in me, your trusting me with this. Your step of faith just to even come in for me. I'm sorry I added that. Your faith has made you well. And the woman was healed. She was made well from that very hour. Now you know, Jesus being a very religious man, He could have rebuked her. He could have said, How dare you woman! Now my garment is unclean for seven days. Now I'm unclean until evening. How dare you! And he could have cast her away. But didn't we talk about last week maybe the week before? God's love is extravagance. God is love. And he would never turn anybody away that comes to him. He turned to this woman and said, Daughter, cheer up. So she was in a depressed attitude. Wouldn't you be... 12 years in isolation. She was depressed, but she had hope in Jesus. He says, daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go, and she was healed from that moment on. Wow. All right, back to Jairus. The scene switches, verse 23. Let's read it. When Jesus came into the ruler's house and saw the flute players and a noisy crowd wailing. So Jesus left the woman, done with her. She got healed. My duty's done here. They pushed on, they moved on. They kept walking. Mark gives us a little interesting detail more to about that. We're not going to bring that up, but if you'd like a parallel passage to this scripture, you go to Mark 5, and you can read it, and a very a very lot of things to see there, a lot of awesome little details that Matthew left out. So Jesus comes, and he takes that trip, And he walks in and he sees what? He sees a scene of mourning. Everybody in the house was sad. Why were they sad? Of course, like I just said, Jairus was a ruler of the synagogue. Imagine a pastor or a leader from a church, big church, and then his daughter or son dying. Well, of course, the whole congregation is going to come together and they're going to mourn. Oh, boo-hoo, oh, she's died and they're going to be sad. The Bible talks about times of mourning when people die. And God even gives people a lot of times to mourn for when people die. So, of course, they were mourning. They were sad. Well, verse 24, Jesus sees them and he says, let's read it, and he said to them, make room, so please move out of my way. For the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. What was Jesus' response to that? But when the crowd was put outside, Jesus' response was Get out. You're gonna ridicule me? I'm telling you that she's gonna be alive, that she's that she's really alive, it's no big trouble, don't worry about it. And you ridicule me? He puts him outside. Why does Jesus put him outside? Why did Jesus put him outside? Why? His response was he put him out, right? Well, there's power and belief in Jesus and the things he can do, and there's power and unbelief in Jesus and the things that he can do. If you just refuse to believe the things that God can do through Jesus Christ... God's going to put you outside too. Well, he does amazing things. We already talked about Mark 6.2 where they were so amazed and they were blown away by his teachings. But if we move past that Mark 6.2, just a couple more verses down, Mark talks about how they were offended with him because they just called him the carpenter's son. But then Jesus answers them and says in Mark 6.4-6, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives and in his house. And then verse 5 says, Now he could do no mighty works there except that he laid hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. So in the town where they did not believe that he was who he said he was, in a town that believed that he could do nothing, that he could not heal at all, Jesus' power was limited for those people that just wouldn't believe. They limited God's power in themselves. Not that God could not heal them, but they just would not believe. So what was the result? In that town, only a few people were healed because of the power of these people's unbelief for themselves. So here we see the same thing. Jesus is going in to heal this man's daughter. Everybody in the whole room, get out of here. What are you talking about? You're crazy. You can't do that. They ridiculed him. It doesn't say what they said to ridicule him, but I can only imagine. I can only imagine the things that they were saying. So he puts them outside. As I said again, there's power in belief in Christ and his abilities and powers and what he can do. And there's power in unbelief in Christ and his his abilities and his powers. Here they doubted Jesus' ability to heal this young girl, and He put them out so that the power of their unbelief would not get in His way to heal this young lady. What a shame when we just refuse to believe the power of God in Jesus Christ and not believe the things that Jesus can do. And I want you to stay away from that. Please, folks, stay away from that. Jesus is God And Jesus is the Son of God, and He can do all things. Nothing is too hard for Him. Just believe. Just believe. Just believe. Because you don't want God to do a mighty miracle around you, but then because you didn't believe He could do it, He's going to put you outside and then do the miracle. I want to be part of that miracle. I want to be part of that healing. I want to be a part of that awesome thing that God is doing. I don't want Him to put me outside. So just believe. So once the believers were put out, verse 25. But when the crowd was put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. Woo! That's awesome. And what was the result of that healing? Verse 26. And the report of this went out into all the land. So the things that Jesus Christ just did, and Mark, he tells him, don't say nothing to nobody about this, but how could you not? How could you not? I had some awesome things, me and my brother in Christ had some awesome things happen to us on Friday night while we were ministering the word of God, of Jesus Christ. And how could I not talk about the miraculous things that happened on Friday night? Even one of the fellows that God changed that night said, told me just last night, I went to work and because of what God did for me last night, I told everybody that was in my business, I told everybody that was in my place. He had to say what God did for him the night before. People's reaction. We got to talk about what God does when he does some awesome things. So here, the report went to all the land. So, in closing, what made them worship? They believed that Jesus Christ was really the Son of God, that he really was God in human flesh. They believe that Jesus was the Christ. So I want to challenge Muslims first off, and anyone else that doesn't believe that Jesus is the Christ and He is God. Ask yourself why did Jesus accept the worship from Jairus? Was Jesus a great religious teacher? Wasn't Jesus astonishing people with his teachings? Wasn't Jesus doing major miracles? Isn't he considered in every religion? Because I know he is, I've studied religions, a great teacher and a great man of God. So, was a great man of God a blasphemer? Was he crazy? Was he a fraud? Would you accept worship? Would you, if somebody came and fell down at your feet, would you accept worship? I'd be like that angel. I'd be dodging the bullets. I'd be expecting fire to come down from heaven on me. Oh, i got to get out of the way. Get up, dude, get up. Don't worship me. Worship God. But here Jesus didn't say that. He received it. And he got up. And he went. And he healed the man's daughter. If he was <clears throat> crazy or a fraud then last we'll day say that then why would his first 11 disciples we can't count Judas Judas murdered himself have written the entire New Testament of the Bible with this message of Jesus and the things that he did and the things that he didn't say in that they were considered blasphemy How is it that Jewish men 11 Jewish men, preached Christ, went throughout the whole world preaching Christ. Many of them wrote wrote the New Testament of the Bible. And if it was blasphemy, why would they have written it? And not only did they write it, but 10 out of the 11 disciples lost their lives for what they believed about Jesus Christ. They lost their lives because they really, they believed in the Judeas' belief. Jews believed that they were blaspheming and they lost their lives. The only one that didn't was John. What could make you worship Jesus Christ as who he really is? How about this? You're a sinner. We're evil the Bible says. We're full of sin. And the Bible says that because of our sin, we're guaranteed one thing and one thing only, and it sure ain't a good life. It's hell forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Because it is appointed for man to die once and then the judgment. And We will be judged because of our sin when we die. And the punishment for sin is death. So how about this to make you worship Jesus? The fact that he was really God. And the fact that He came to earth and wrapped Himself in human flesh and took all your sins upon Himself on the cross. And He lived a perfect life and He never sinned once. And He became the perfect sacrifice from God to pay and atone for all your sins that you ever have ever committed, ever. That's how much He loves you. But the Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, so that whoever should believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. How about that? For a reason. To worship Jesus. That's a good reason to me. That's an awesome reason to me. Anyone else listening? If you don't live for Christ, the Son of God and God Himself today, then you're on a dangerous path that will end your life and end your eternity in destruction forever. I ask you to please consider now. Come to Him now and stop fighting His love for you and surrender to your life and surrender your life to Him now. Today is the day of salvation, the Bible says. I'll check this out. God gave me this one a little bit here. Whoever you are, whether white or black, young or old, whether a Muslim or a Jew or even a Hindu, Jesus is calling you. White or black, young or old, Muslim, Jew, or even a Hindu, Jesus is calling you. Will you respond to His love for you today? For the things that He did for you even though we don't deserve it? Will you respond to that love today and just surrender to Him now? He gave His life up for you. Will you give your life up to Him today? And if you're listening to this and you feel God is tugging on my heart, I don't know, I feel this pull. I don't know what to do. I just, I don't know, what. what is this pull? I, I, I see what you're saying. How can Jesus not be God? I know he wasn't a blasphemer. I know he wasn't a liar or a lunatic. How did he receive worship? Nobody stoned him for it. Religious leaders got mad at him, but the people, they they loved him, and he loved them. And he took their worship. How could he not be God? How do I respond? Cry out to him now, and just tell him that you need him in your life, and that you want him in your life now, today. Cry out to Him now. Don't wait another second. Cry out to Him. Just say, Jesus, I need You. You are the Christ. You are the Savior of the world. I need You. Come, rule my life today. Rule my life today. Ask Him to change your life and change your heart and change your soul. And He absolutely will. The Bible says that if you ask, if you call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, then you shall be saved. If you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, then you shall be saved. But you must believe that He is who He said He is, and not a fraud not a liar, not a lunatic, but God Almighty, the Son of God, the the Christ, the Savior of the world, please surrender to Him now. Cry out to Him with all your heart. And the Lord just told me yes on this one. If you are out there now and you're in desperate need, desperate need, desperately sick like this woman, Desperately sick, 12 years you've been suffering with whatever, 5 years or 4 years or 10 years or whatever, you've been sick. Then you call on Him and you ask Him to help you. And you believe that He can heal you or help you no matter how big or how small the issue is you are dealing with. And you put your trust in Christ and you call out to Him and you ask Him to heal you and you just trust Him with the decision that He makes. You just trust Him with whatever He does. Trust Him in whatever happens. Put your trust in Him right now. And call on Him and ask Him to help you. And He absolutely can. And don't doubt in your heart. Pray with me please. Lord Jesus, thank you so much, God, for today. Thank you so much, God, for this love that you poured out upon mankind. That while we were yet still sinners, dear God, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man would one dare to die, but let alone for a sinner. And your word says, Lord God, that there's nobody that's righteous, nobody that's not not a sinner. We're all wicked. We're all evil. We're all sinners. And we need salvation. We need truth. Jesus, please reveal yourself to the people that are listening to this right now today, Lord. Reveal yourself to whoever is going to listen to this whenever they listen to it, Lord. And open their eyes, God. Open their eyes. Jesus may not have said, I am God He made many other references. But here, by him receiving blasphemous worship to anybody else but God alone, and he received it and got up and went. Lord, you spoke volumes to us by this. Please, God, reveal yourself to the people that are listening to this this audio recording. Lord. And Lord, bring them to repentance. Bring them to true salvation pray that they would cry out to you right now, Lord God, and say, Jesus, I'm so sorry for what I've done. Please forgive me of my sins. I need you, Jesus. I'm so sorry. I haven't believed in you my whole life, but I want to believe in you now. And cry out to them and just say, God, I need you. Jesus, I need you. Please save me. Please save my soul. I want to be with you. I don't want to be apart from you. Please save my soul. And God, I love you and I praise you. And I ask all these things in Jesus' mighty and holy and precious and powerful name. Amen. We would like to thank everyone who has joined us today to listen to Pastor Ed Spagnoli bring us more biblical truth as he preaches verse by verse through the Bible. It is our prayer that you are encouraged and challenged to respond to the word of the Lord today, as one life will soon be passed, and only what's done for Jesus Christ will last. If you would like to support this ministry or contact us for prayer, or for any reason at all, please visit GospelsavingChurch.com and enjoy our beautiful new website and click on the appropriate links. God bless you.